This episode of Storylines is brought to you by GIFT. Girls in Film and Television is a nonprofit organization committed to giving teen girls hands-on instruction and mentorship in all aspects of filmmaking. To find out more, visit girlsinfilmtv.com. Hey, we just want to let you know that in this episode, there's some talk of suicide and alcoholism, and it may be triggering for some listeners, so please be advised. Now back to the show. Welcome to Storylines, a podcast brought to you by WIFTA, Women in Film and Television, Alberta. I'm your host, Sheena Rossiter. On this week's episode, like a lot of writers, I was writing before I could even spell. I think it's in your blood. I think I think it's a calling as opposed to something you pick up. We're in conversation with screenwriter Susie Maloney. Don't put really important information in an actor's mouth because they won't say that line. That will be the one line that they say a different way or that they forget. Susie has been a writer for decades. She's penned books such as A Dry Spell, The Dwelling, and The Thirteenth. Her work focuses on the supernatural, and she's been dubbed as the Canadian Stephen King. I have complete ownership over my characters in my novel, and even if they are made into film, they exist on a separate plane in that book. And now she takes her pen to the page to create screenplays. She wrote and co-produced the short film The Suburbanite, a film that shows what can happen to a nosy neighbor interrupting a single mom trying to feed her kid. What about dinner? I'm figuring it out. Can I go outside? She's also the writer behind the award-winning short Romy, which tells the story of a recently widowed young woman who's terrorized by her digital assistant. Romy? And this year, she'll be releasing Bright Hill Road, a story she wrote about an alcoholic on the run who must face her demons in an eerie little inn. Susie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I really want to go back to the beginning of your career. How did you start as a writer? Like a lot of writers, I was writing before I could even spell. I think it's in your blood. I think, I think it's a calling as opposed to something you pick up. But my first real thing that I wrote, I suppose, was an article for the newspaper when I was a single mother myself. I was about 18. And the story was published on Christmas Eve, not kidding. And it made me think that, hey, a little girl from Winnipeg could actually make a living doing this. I got paid 10 bucks. (laughs) Better than zero. (laughs) It's true. I was so excited. Oh, my gosh. I remember. Uh, So that's, I guess, where the notion that I could be a writer started. After that, I'd always written short stories, and they got longer and longer and longer, and through the course of going to university and going to college, I started to think, well, on the side, I'm going to write a book. And then I did. And it wasn't very good. So I wrote another one. And that one sold. That was Bastion Falls. I've had a very, I'm afraid, smooth journey to writing career. (laughs) But is that usual for most writers? It's not. And I know this. uh, Certainly, it's not as a novelist. But I was a writer in a time and an industry that was going concern. When I started writing, publishing was at the top of its game. 
And so it was a very different world from what it is now. In some ways, it's better now because it's very accessible. Anyone with a computer can write a book and publish it. And in some ways, you know, it's sad because there are no curators anymore. It's hard to find the material that you're looking for. And frankly, there's no money in it anymore. (laughs) I guess that's, you know, unless you're J.K. Rowling or Stephen King or a celebrity with a tell-all. So that's kind of sad, too. But, you know, the wheels, they keep on turning. (laughs) I want to get to that point, though. You are a very successful writer. It is a little bit of a lonely process. The publishing world is very different than it used to be. What is some of your advice that you would give to aspiring writers? First piece of advice I give to any writer who asks is you got to be in it for the joy because the money is hard to come by. Particularly now, I don't think if I was starting off as a writer, I would make it my career. It would be a side hustle. So you have to do it for the joy. You know, love what you're doing. Want to get your butt in that chair and fall into that page because that's the reward now. So that's a piece of advice I always give. What is your process there? Getting You have to get your butt in that chair. You do. But are you an early riser? Do you set yourself a goal of how many pages you have to write per day? Is it a certain amount you have to read per day? What is your process? I am a morning person. I'm up at 7 and I write till 9. That time's sacrosanct. So it doesn't really matter what I'm working on. I'm doing the writing, not doing the research. I'm not editing. I'm creating new material because that is the joy. That's why I do this. And so that is my little gift to myself every day. I'm the writer-in-residence for the Edmonton Public Library right now, which means that I've got a regular paycheck coming in, and it's half-time is devoted to my own work. And so I'm taking full advantage of that, as anyone would, and I'm doing all that research and writing during those not two hours in the morning. And I'm loving it. Plus, I'm also getting to write creatively during the day when I'm not editing or I'm not researching. So I'm having the time of my life. This is some salad days I'm having right here. Right now, you are working more on screenplays than on books, which you did more of in the past. Is screenwriting quite a bit more of a collaborative process than what you're used to? Hmm. Well, so far, the way I've done it, it's very similar. I have an idea. I pitch it to either my agent or director I might want to work with. And they say, yay or nay. And I go and do whatever I want. I write it or I don't. Then when I'm I've got a draft. I get someone to read it, usually that director or my agent, and I go from there. So there's editors in novel writing as well, and they come in after the first draft. So it is, it's similar, it's, a, it's structured similarly. The two forms couldn't be more different, however. It's a very different kind of writing. It's a very different process of writing, I have found, than writing a book. So let's dive into one of your first projects you not only wrote but you were a co-producer the suburbanite that was a very successful short what was the learning process like for you on that project (laughs) i might want to get my co-producer eva colmers in here (laughs) i'm sure she has a few choice words for my for my learning process it was a sharp arc and she was amazing what what a patient woman she is like most people i think blunder into things thinking, oh, it's going to be way easier than I thought. 
And it's always way harder. It's a pretty amazing dance producing even just a short film. And I think it's probably as difficult as producing a feature film. The difference might be that you need to get locations for longer. You need to devote more, a longer shooting time. But I think the setup is much the same. So it was a pretty steep curve. I remember the very first day that we sat down to kind of, uh, we got Bravo Fact money. We sat down to put together the package together and, and she had a couple of questions about the script. And she pointed out, and I was a baby writer then, baby screenwriter, uh, she pointed out a couple of things that probably were really obvious to her, but were news to me. And I remember thinking, oh, good tip. Like what? <laughs> what, what, what? I, I'm trying to remember what it was. It was something about the ease of just keeping, uh, keeping the scene in one room. There was no need, I think, to, to change rooms. Because as a production, that makes things cheaper and easier as well for the crew. Totally, right? But as a novelist, I could set it on the moon if I felt like it. Nobody says boo to me. And so I had just arbitrarily set it in the bedroom as opposed to in the living room where all the other scenes were set. And, and so it was like, great tip. Holy cow, as a producer. And so now, the, you know, having done that, having co-produced, and I'm sure it's co-produced in quotes, <laughs> Uh, letting it's like when you know you let your three-year-old bake with you and you just give them a spoon and an apron I think that's what Eva was doing she was giving me a spoon and an apron and letting me co-produce that way but I did learn so much and one of the things I did learn was how to think like a producer I don't know if that is a bad thing but I feel like it's a good thing when I'm writing it's very useful. So now that helps you when you're creating more screenplays is you know how to think like a producer then? A little bit more. I'm not going to flatter myself and pretend I know how to think like a producer. But even having seen the actors work, having watched Eva direct, having been on the set, that is a game changer. Because suddenly you're learning things about the way, the, the motion, the ebb and flow of, a, 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 of shooting a scene, of shooting the whole thing. You're learning how that works. And it not only opens your eyes as a writer because you can see how Eva's framing things, for instance. Or I spent a wee bit of time on the set of Bright Hill Road and seeing how Robert Cuffley, the director of that project, frames things. It changes the way you're visualizing things as you write them. It's been a fascinating learning curve for me, and it's been five years, essentially, since I decided I was going to get serious about writing for the screen. Well, let's move into that. What is it like now that you're writing more for the screen and you see your characters literally come to life? What does that feel like compared to when you're a novelist and the characters do come to life in your mind, but now you physically see them come to life? That's harder than you think. Really? I have complete ownership over my characters in my novel. And even if they are made into film, they exist on a separate plane in that book. I'm not casting. I am writing like a novelist still, even now. I'm on my, I guess, fourth screenplay, and I'm still writing like a novelist in that I have these people firmly in my head, you know, and they've got brown hair, or they're not very tall, or they have this certain physicality about them. And then somebody who isn't me casts it, and I'm all like, Malala, what? <laughs> who is that going to be? <laughs> But what a 
what a joy when you see them do it. Because suddenly, I mean, they're actors. It's their whole job to take on and create this person and make them flesh. And to watch them do that, you now you feel like you've been part of a collaboration. And that's different than being a novelist. Absolutely. Nobody can tell me anything about my characters, but an actor, having read your script 50 times, maybe sees uh, something in the things not said that you didn't think of, and they're using that. It's brilliant. But then what happens when the actor ad-libs? Oh, yeah, no. my. So this is here's my best piece of learning that I took away in the last two years of my three films. Don't put really important information in an actor's mouth. Because they won't say that line. That will be the one line that they say a different way or that they forget. And if you do have to put information into the actor's mouth, make sure the director knows that that line has to be spoken as read. All lines should be spoken as read. <laughs> Says Susan Maloney. <laughs> Can I quote you on Absolutely. that one? Absolutely. <laughs> How dare you toy with my words. So right now you're having a project that is about to be released. Bright Hill Road is a project that's coming out a little bit later this year. Tell us a bit more about that project. You know, I had a really limited amount of time to write it. I was super excited about it. I was writer for hire. It was a situation where somebody said, do you have anything? And my answer was, yes, I do. When, of course, I had an idea. As, had as you affirmatively nod your head right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. You can't say no to work. Is this a little fake it to you make it situation? Absolutely it is. And I highly recommend. That's my other tip. <laughs> so I had to kind of come up with a treatment. Didn't have a ton of time. I did have an idea. I had a character, which a lot of my work starts with a character. I knew the, the mood. I knew how the story looked. And I also had the setting. I, I knew it was taking place in a hotel. And so I went from there. I, I took a, various dysfunctions and thought, how do you traumatize this person to such an extent that there is now no turning back from this trauma? And what happens when that trauma is, um, manifests in another way? And what happens when there is a gateway somewhere, a portal if you want, where the trauma that you've manifested has to turn into some sort of a reflection of your life. Now, that sounds very convoluted. It's a long way of saying it's this woman. She goes to a hotel, and she has to, for the first time, face the trauma not only that's happened to her, but that she's caused. Wackiness ensues. Not to give anything away. <laughs> I love this film. It's got a one of my more satisfying endings, I think. Where did the inspiration come from? I have a bit, a wee bit of a fascination with suicide. Interesting. Why? Where does that come from? Um, uh, for some personal reasons, not me. I'm not You're suicidal. Still I'm still here. I'm not suicidal. But you know what? There's been, I, I've been near and about suicide. And as a friend of mine who used to be a counselor at a one of those hotlines, mm -hmm. she used to say, she said, she'd say, you know, for some people, suicide's a viable option. It's an option. And so I, I feel like that is such an extreme act. And so it, it came out of this idea that if you were committing suicide, either of the slow kind, like an alcoholic, or of the sudden sort, where you just decide one day that this is your last one, what, what happens in those between times, you know, before you go to heaven or hell? 
what's there? What's that? So then in your opinion, being an alcoholic is a sort of suicide rather than it's an addiction? It's an absolute, well, absolutely. I know it's a disease and I know it's an addiction. And But I, let's face it, if you, if you, if you drink daily, there's, there's people who drink themselves to death. I had an uncle who drank himself to death. And so it is, it's a slow suicide. So in, in a way, some of the exp- lived experiences or people you've observed in your real life can influence some of your characters? I think they influence my stories. Mm. I don't know that I take anything. My characters are real people all on their own, but they do, I think everybody's life experience infects their work. And so you can see my book, The Dwelling, I always point that one out. The Dwelling is all about my marriage breaking up, my Mm. first marriage. I have a really terrific marriage now, but I didn't always. My starter marriage broke up, as many starter marriages did. And so that book is like a thinly veiled, oh my gosh, poor Susie. <laughs> so then for writers who want to shape characters, what's your advice for that? How, where do you go for research? What do you do when you're looking to create a character that then gets brought to life on screen? I always kind of feel like characters, not to get too woo-woo, but characters exist in me. Maybe they're those multiple personalities but but they do and you know they they never really go away like I have characters reappearing in new stories that I wrote into stories originally 20 years ago when I was 14 and now when you were 14 when I was 14 yes just clarifying what you want to fight me (laughs) (laughs) but they do they they keep coming back they they continue to live inside me and I guess they're mating and having babies because there's always new ones there. Uh, uh, for instance, uh, the character of Marcy in Bright Hill Road, uh, Siobhan Williams plays her in the film, and she did such a beautiful job of her. She captured her so fully that now the Marcy that was originally in my head just looks like Siobhan. But that Marcy had existed in her original form in me, she just hadn't made her way into a story yet, although aspects of her did. Does this sound like I need psychiatric help? Not that there's anything wrong with that. But yeah, they, they live there. Like I, I have this little girl who has been waiting to be in a story for so long because she grows up in the story. I know the story she'll be in. She grows up in, her, in, in the story, and she's got a, a man in her tummy who tells her not to eat. And she just sits in my head and... You know, she's got to get into a story because that's got to be resolved because it's very sad. When you've done some of your work and when you're creating these characters, how long is your process for that? Does How many drafts do you have to write? Or do you have a certain aha moment at certain times? I'm a big aha moment person. And part of that, I think, is because I've been writing for so long. There's uh, the way a story is told is now muscle memory for me somewhat. And that transferred over from the books into film and television. I mean, it's still a very different craft, and I am still very much learning that craft. But there's some muscle memory involved. I think that I get my character, and I know roughly what I want to write about. I want to write about suicide. I want to write about a relationship between a mother and a daughter. You know... 
I know. I, I want to write about the digital assistants scare the crap out of me. I want to write about that. Where does the story come in? So where does the story intersect with the, you know, the, the, the story idea and the character that I've created? And then you go from there. And that process can take, I've had that little girl in my head for a decade and a half. Mm-hmm. She's still not made it into a story. Marcy, on the other hand, as I mentioned, came about really quickly. <laughs> you know, she'd been kind of floating around in my head, but her story was brand new. And she evolved in some amazing ways when she came out and started walking around on that paper. So it completely varies. And I think every single writer would say that. Some stories come to you in an instant in the shower. Some stories ferment for a decade and a half. Bright Hill Road did come about quite quickly, as you mentioned that. But when you saw the actual actor come out, did you go back and rewrite in order to incorporate the actual actor into it? Was it a different type of process in that aspect? I didn't. She was cast last. And (laughs) let's face it, it was a runaway train by then because we were shooting pretty quickly. And there would have been no time to adapt. And I didn't. You know what? She... She's a talented actress. And so I think that she recreated Marcy for me. So we both played God a little. I made her up and Siobhan made her live. You have been called before the Canadian Stephen King. How much of an honor is it for you to have that sort of title? It's actually usually the female Stephen King, which irks me. (laughs) When's somebody going to be the male Susie Maloney? Well, I love that. Why wouldn't you? He's an incredibly talented writer beyond the success. If he had been a quiet two-book-a-decade two kind of writer, he would still be just as talented. He is an amazing writer. He won the National Book Award. People forget that. So it's an honor. What an honor to be called that. Also, it's an honor to be called the male Susie Maloney. <laughs> so get to work, boys. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is a blast. <laughs> I'm Susie Maloney, and these are my three tips for starting out in the industry. Number one, always be learning. Take classes. Read books on screenwriting. Talk to writers more accomplished than you are. Two, use a story editor. Find a reader who gets you. Let them read what you're working on. Go deep with them. Be vulnerable with your material. Be willing. Be fearless. Number three, do not underestimate the power of letting go. If it isn't working, let it go. Cut it out like a cancer. Get rid of it. Whether it's a whole script, 10 scenes in the middle, or a character who won't behave, don't be a hero. Ain't nobody got time for that. That's our show for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in to Episode 8 of Storylines. Storylines is a women in film and television Alberta production that's made possible with the generous support from Alberta's Ministry of Culture, Multiculturalism, and Status of Women. Special thanks to Fava for its support on this production. Thanks very much to this week's guest, Susie Maloney. The show's executive producers are Elise Graham, Ava Carvenin, Samantha Quantz, and Teresa Winnick. Shannon Giles is our associate producer and social media coordinator. The original storyline's theme is composed by Aaron Macri and Laura Rabode. And I'm your host, senior producer, and audio technician, Sheena Rossiter. Make sure you tune in every week to catch the latest Storylines episode where you can hear interviews and get tips from leading women in film and television. You can check us out and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
Until next time, follow your storylines. We can't wait to see where they lead. Yeah.